All right, and welcome back. That was Boblin and the Goblins with She's Got Betty Behold Her Eyes. It's a beautiful Memorial Day here in the Pacific Northwest, 86 degrees and sunny. Let's check on that commuter traffic with our eye in the sky, Rockfist. Hey, this is Rockfist, everybody. We've got an aerial view of uh, where uh, Highway 5 meets Mill Plain. We have an owlbear that's uh, taking a nap in the middle of the lanes, and uh, traffic's backed up all the way to uh, PDX at this point. Well, that sounds like in a total labyrinth. Uh, you be safe out there. All right, so get ready for 45 minutes of nonstop D&D on Jammin' Legend Lore. Welcome to Legend Lore, brought to you by Strange New Worlds Productions. To my right, we have... Hey guys, it's uh, DM Rockfist, also known as John. To my right... DM Osborne. Hello everybody, this is Cody. This is DM Popatine. All right, and so tonight we are going to be talking about some things that we don't like in the rules that we've modified or perhaps want to modify, I think. I yeah. think some of us already already do some of these things. Uh, and so we, uh, we basically call this, uh, the book says that, but we say this. Yeah, we thought this would be a good segue from last episode where we talked about homebrewing. And I think, uh, you know, we think homebrewing, a lot of times that is coming up with different, you know, coming up with different settings or coming up with different twists to whatever official module materials out there. But, you know, uh, you can take rules from the book or mechanics from the book even and, and turn those around too. So uh, I thought this was a cool idea for us to talk about because I think we all kind of do this to some degree or other. Yeah, materials. absolutely. And I, and I think our... I, if I'm not mistaken, I do think our resident rules lawyer is the one who proposed this. <laughs> oh, I think early on when we were doing brainstorming ideas for the podcast, you actually said that. Am I really? Yeah, I do oh, believe it was you. I don't know. That's crazy. Maybe. <laughs> it kind of seems up my alley. Right? You're the king of like, yeah, but the rules say this. And you're like, but I think that we should really do something. <laughs> and you but know I what? do want to follow it today. It has to be done today, though. No, I'm not like that. <laughs> I'm not like that. <laughs> I, I am the rules lawyer, and that's just because I like consistency, and that's what the rules help with. Is it, You're it, anti-fun. It creates, okay. No, I like fun. I like the rule of cool. But like if it's going to be, you know, if we're just going to change the way that grapple works for this one-time thing, then I want to know if that's how grapple is going to work every single time or if it's like closer to a rule of cool situation. And that's my example of the book says this and we say that is grapples. All right, well, go ahead. Tell us all about that. Well, in 5th edition, Grapple doesn't really do anything except you, you, you spend one of your attacks to make an, uh, a contested athletics check against someone else. I think they get their choice of athletics or acrobatics against you. They do. They do. Yeah. But you're forced to use athletics. The Grappler is. Mm-hmm. And if you succeed, then the target has zero movement. They can still perform any actions. They can do literally everything else except move away. It takes one action to uh, do an athletics or an acrobatics check against you to break the grapple. Mm -hmm. So if they want to get away from you, then that's great. It ruins their action economy because now they can't attack you. And then they run 30 feet, which means you get a attack of opportunity against them. Mm -hmm. So in terms of that, it's fine. But if you're who's going to be next to you to for you to grapple, it's going to be another martial fighter. 
Right. So they do not care that they can't run away from you. Yeah, they can just keep hitting you with mm-hmm. their attacks, and they have no penalty. There's no negative to hit. There's nothing. No increase to AC. Yeah. So just keep swinging a sword. When I read the grapple, the the grapple attack, whatever the you want to call it, it, mechanic. In what if we edition. call it combat hug? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So that sounds like a restrained condition at that point. But when I read the grapple condition and I read everything that it does in 5th edition, it sounds like you're just grabbing onto their cape or you're grabbing onto like their shoulder pads and you're just making sure that they can't get away from you. Right. But they can do literally everything else against you. Wow. So I, I, I think the problem is really probably in the definition of what a grapple is, if you really think about it. Mm-hmm. Because what you're basically saying, you're right in if you are if you if you look like an MMA fighter when they're grappling people and i mean like really grappling people well they're not really those people aren't really getting to attack back they're pretty restrained yeah like when you're grappling someone you're trying to prevent them from doing something against you yeah. usually like sure uh like even if a cop is trying to chase somebody and grapple them to the ground or something like that yeah they're trying to pre- prevent their movement sure but they're also trying to prevent that person from attacking them back. Well, yeah. And also they're trying to more so in specifically fighting MMA is you're actually trying to set up a hold. Right. Mm-hmm. So, and that would lead into what we were talking about earlier, the restraining mechanic, getting off a second attack that lets you put them in a hold to literally restrain them, dropping all actions. Exactly. Yeah. So we, we haven't done, we haven't done the hell squad and played the hell squad yet, but I actually put a skill on there, which is called subdue, which is about putting your opponent in a strain, uh, mm-hmm. in a restrained position. Basically, mm-hmm. like a chokehold or an armbar lock or something like that. So I, th- I think, I think it really, like I said, I think might, might just come down to the way they defined grapple. It 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 seems like actually very inaccurate. See, uh, I think it is accurate. I think because I think that it's like you're 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 getting on them. You're trying to hold them so like they can't get away from you. It's just that there's nothing to go beyond that as rules written. They didn't take mm-hmm. it far enough. Yeah. Yeah, because you know, like yeah. The, the description that they have provided and what it, what, what it costs from your action economy to do and then the effects that happen, it all works out just fine. Right. I, I spend one of my attacks to grapple you and now you just can't run away from me. And literally everything else is just fine. And like, it makes sense. It sounds like I'm just grabbing onto someone's shoulder or their, their armor and they just can't get away from me. But I want to know why I would choose to grapple somebody if I could just attack them twice. Instead of making a melee attack. Yeah. 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 Or instead of doing something else that provides value to the combat encounter for my team. Right. It's probably probably fair to mention there is a grappler feat if you want to mm -hmm. be really good at grappling. I didn't know that. Yes. And, but here's what it does. You get, you get a few benefits. If you take, now keep in mind, you have to take a feat to get these, which is expensive, very expensive. You get advantage on attack rolls against a creature that you are currently grappling. So imagine you grab the dude's belt and now you're hitting him with your sword and you get advantage on those other attacks. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, you can use your action to try to pin a creature that's grappled to you. To do that, you must make another grapple check, and if you succeed, then you're both restrained until the grapple ends, which takes away your actions as well as his actions. Yeah. And I'm perfectly, fi- I'm perfectly fine with that, because uh, like if I'm if I'm doing like some kind of bear hug to to stop your like I'm pinning your arms down to right. your sides or whatever like that. 
I obviously can't attack you. Maybe I could like knee you in the gut. You're typically right. still like in actual fighting. You're still typically doing damage in a mm-hmm. way, even if it's like an arm bar, like you're basically you're hurting so, like, them. pressure yeah. on their arm. You're going to snap mm-hmm. it. So it yeah. should still, in my opinion, be able to make attack rolls. But. Yeah. yeah, sure. But like, you know, like the five the E attack rolls, which is, you know, make an attack roll. And then you just add your strength modifier plus one sure. to the damage. Cause I'm not going to get a whole lot of momentum from a, a, a knee to your gut or something no, like that. And I think that it would be better to put you in the grappled condition. So you're now movement zero, obviously. Right. You're not restrained, yeah. and they are. Restrained. And they are restrained. And yeah. I, and honestly, I think it might be a little bit of how your DM interprets things too, right? Mm-hmm. There could be a little like if you were, let's say, let's say you're playing Diego, and you're like sneaking, you're doing something, bam, 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 and you sneak up behind a guy, and you're like, I want to grapple him, but I want to, I want to put him in a chokehold, mm-hmm. and you you make your contested rolls, you win. Mm-hmm. Look, when you're in a chokehold and someone is choking the life out of you, there's a few things you can do. If you got a sword in your hand and the guy standing behind you chokeholding him, you ain't doing. You, you can't possibly in in real life get the leverage to really damage that guy. If you have a dagger, sure, you can reach back and stab him. You you can mm-hmm. claw at their arms. You can stab their arms. So, I don't know. Maybe a little bit about how we interpret things too. Like maybe we we let the rules be too. A concrete because of the mechanics instead of thinking well how do you do that like maybe that's a question like a dm can ask is like oh i'm going to grapple this guy but you're like well how are you going to grapple him mm-hmm. like maybe you're going to grapple and reach and grab his freaking sword arm and try to lock it so he can attack you with that sword mm-hmm. that was just a thought no i think yeah. that that's a great way because i mean you're making combat more cinematic i think that's the, that just plays into what we've been talking about is like how to do it better than what they've written and going back just a second it requiring a feat for you to become both restrained is not good in my opinion. Yeah, I think the advantage on attack is awesome, but both restrained. Why would you ever like unless you're really trying to stop someone from escaping, or you're trying to cover one of your your party members that's trying to run away from it, and you're you know you're the barbarian and you run up and grab the bear and you're like you know run you know clothy you person. Just, you can just stay <laughs> in grapple though and keep them at zero. Uh, yeah, I guess that's true. But, then, but I mean, I think about it like this: like if they're restrained, they have dis. It's, I'm pretty sure they have disadvantage or people have advantage to attack them. I think if you're restrained, you cannot take actions. No, no, no. Yeah, like yeah, people, yeah. Other people can attack you, though. And I think they have advantage to do so when if, you're restrained. If you're restrained, yes. So yes. it's like if there's, maybe it's the big bad evil guy, Mr. Mage, and the barbarian in that situation runs up, grapples him, restrains him down to the ground. Now he just tells all his party members, beat the ever-living shit out of this guy right. because now he's yeah. restrained and you can take him it, down. It's like that scene in Avengers where they all grab Thanos. Yeah, yep. I mean, it's yeah. mechanically sound, but also, like, if the half-orc barbarian is grappling the wizard and restrained on the ground, like, yeah. those are all disadvantage attacks to me. Like, you're not right. not stabbing, because you're yeah. holding him, like, you're not not stabbing. Well, if you're, if you're prone on the ground, you are, you do get a disadvantage on uh, ranged attacks. Yeah, but even you. with a sword, if you're right fighting someone, and my part, your my buddy's there holding mm-hmm. him, I'm not going to thrust my sword in that action. <laughs> oh, I'm going to cut both of yeah. I definitely see restrained like, I'll, I'll do some kicks. I'll kick you while sure. you're being restrained on the ground. That's pretty easy, but yeah, I don't want to put a blade, which is like, like, attacking like full swing my sword when my ally is literally so easily. literally like hugging this person right because yeah. what, what happens is that because then you've got uh kurt's character laying underneath a werewolf and uh so pierces grappling, through him. and then blaine's character walks up for the back and rolls a one. Oh no yeah that's so i basically just had him just like stab kurt yeah that's yeah. that's what would happen yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> so all like i love this discussion i don't want to take too much time for on okay, scrabble yeah. checks out but so Bare bones, what I would change here is I would remove that feat, and I would just say that's a thing that anybody can do. Hmm. Um, I 
go back and forth on whether I would let grapple checks be acrobatics checks instead of just purely athletics checks mm -hmm. because there are just so many situations where being dexterous to land a grapple or a restrained condition on a real life person, not just in, in game, would happen. Well, like Brazilian jiu-jitsu specifically is a lot of dexterity. Exactly, exactly. Um, and then I would say like, you know, one attack to make the grapple and then a second attack to create a restrained condition. Mm -hmm. Me personally, I see that you guys are kind of anti the grappler being restrained. I'm perfectly fine with that because to me in my head, that that's mechanically sound. I am putting all of my effort to prevent that person from doing absolutely anything. I got you in a double Nelson, so I can't do anything. Exactly. Yeah. How am I supposed to be attacking you? I can understand like certain situations. Maybe I can get like some knees on you or like an elbow to like a face you in can, a real life you can situation. Lick them. So what if yeah. it was the back like, of his head? You, you, um, your condition is now grappled if there's a restraint and you not may not make like melee weapon attacks, but you can use natural weapons. Oh, I'm perfect. That that sounds yeah. great. Yeah. And you know what? That gives viability to races that have mm -hmm. natural weapons. Like claws. Yep, claws are bites. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that sounds great. So yeah, uh, you are considered under the grapple condition, and you may not make any attacks, probably even cast spells that yeah. require somatic components, but you may make attacks with, or, or you may make unarmed attacks or natural weapon attacks. Yes, absolutely. What do you think about, instead of, you know, you said acrobatics, it's not a good idea. What do you think about instead of how the, somebody maybe rolls an attack and now the person has to roll a saving throw, either dex or strength? Because in a dex saving throw, they could eventually like slip out of this grapple or a strength, they could be overpowering you to get out of it. Um, I mean, especially with strength, because I mean, honestly, we don't see strength as a saving throw almost ever. Mm -hmm. That is cool. I like that idea. And that does kind of, uh, I always thought it was really weird that grappling was a contest, a skill contest where everything else in 5th edition is a saving throw. Yeah. Mm. That's fair. I think that it, it makes sense that it's a contest, but you're right, it is It is a... Um, it's weird. Uh, it's not wrong, it's just weird. Yeah, it's out of place almost, mm -hmm. like with the rest of the rule sets. I can see that. Well, I think we solved all the world's problems right now. Uh, hey, look, Count it's Strahd <laughs> approves of your rule about the natural weapons on that right. and his horde of vampires because they're going to be biting a lot more necks with that. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yeah. That's oh, fine. Yeah. Make, vamp make vampires scary again. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> So Matt, what do you what do you got? What do you think? Well, I mean, guessing uh, going on the uh, well, we talked a little bit about feats, uh, a little bit. Well, I guess one feat in particular. But uh, my actually thing was the book uh, defines out when you, when you level up to level four, level eight, level twelve. Fighters get it a little bit more frequently. Obviously, what I'm about to say, I would want to tweak that for fighters as well because there's a little thing I'm going to say in this. But it says you get ability scores improvements, or you can choose a feat. Now, a feat is is been an optional rule in the book as you know as is written it always is being an optional rule uh however my stance is you get both and the reason why is because i see and there's a little thing with feats but i see your ability scores would improve as you go along you would develop your charisma a little bit more you would be that bard that would be able to seduce you know you start with the barmaid at the table now you're level 20 now you can seduce that dragon over there and then make the dragon born. <laughs> um, but like you, as you're a barbarian, you get stronger. So the, I, I feel like losing your ability score to choose a feat is kind of a disadvantage to the character because they are improving themselves. And on top of that, I think feats are a way to improve your character as well. And I feel like you should get those feats. Now, there may be a little addendum that I would make to this. And it's not something I've tried before, but it's definitely something that's been on my heart about, you know, we should change that. 
uh, with feats, I would say, hey, let's make a requirement for these now. Let's say if you want to be an act, you would choose the actor feat. You have to have an 18 charisma now. Oh, okay. So basically, mm-hmm. it's it's giving you more, but it's also giving you a requirement. Would you uh, would you allow feats to continue to give like plus ones to different stats, or would you because you're separating them and saying you get both effectively, right? If I'm hearing you right, yeah, I would. You, you would you would take out stat bumps from feats, take those out. Yeah, I definitely. think that's a good move. Mm-hmm. Would you lessen the power of certain feats? Like the alert feat gives you a plus five. Would you lower that to like a plus three, and then you can take the alert feat again? And I get would another say plus three? the alert feat. I would say that there would be a degree of the feats, and alert would be like you have to have an eighteen wisdom. Like if you don't have an That's eighteen valid. wisdom, you can't have alert mm-hmm. because I mean, like at level at level 18, four, though? yeah. Because I mean, when you think of well, yeah, I would say you have to be really perceptive to know when someone's going to come at you in the middle of nowhere. Like you can't be. The feat literally says you can never be surprised again. Mm-hmm. So someone you can be sleeping. And you can't be, someone can't come stab you in your sleep mm-hmm. because you can't be surprised at all. So <laughs> I just, just imagine what someone in real life who had that feat would be <laughs> like, just this like crackhead that's just constantly <laughs> like, oh, they're, they're coming for me. They're going to attack me any minute now. I take offense to that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I just, yeah, I feel like it would be up there in the scale. Like it would be like 18, I mean, maybe 16 or something. I would have to do some research, figure out, you know, which is the powerful, the things where it hangs up a little bit is like the lucky feet. I mean, the lucky feet, I don't know, maybe it'd be charisma. Because, you know, charisma kind of maybe is based on luck. Luck should be a stat. A lot of DMs just straight up get rid of the lucky feet. Yeah. I mean, think about it. I mean, you think about it. It's like if I'm a bar, let's say I'm a barbarian and I have eight wisdom because I dumped my wisdom stat because I don't need it because I got strength and I got other things that I need. I can take the alert feet, even though I have eight wisdom. And now I'm never surprised again. I have, you know, a bonus to my initiative and. What I like about the alert feat is that you can flavor that in different ways. And I like the idea of, and I think it kind of goes in the same lines of skill checks. Let's say I have a horrible charisma stat. I have an eight or a nine charisma, but uh, I'm the barbarian and that gives me, uh, or I'm a half work and I get intimidation automatically as a skill. Yeah. So my charisma is garbage, but I am intimidating naturally. Oh, yeah. So I like the idea of the alert feat because maybe... Uh, or uh, what if it was like uh, you get the alert feet and it's kind of like uh, favorite terrains kind of a thing. So you are a thief and you grew up in the, in the, like, the metropolis city and you have the alert feet for urban environments mm. or you're a barbarian and you get the alert feet for like the wilderness kind of environments, you know, whatever. Like, like a, I don't think it needs to be specific. Like you have only have alert for forests or you only have alert for mountains. Yeah. But I kind of like the idea of you are so, attuned or experienced to certain types of environments that you get bonuses to your perception because you're just so well trained i really like that idea yeah yeah, yeah that's really cool I, it, it really does turn down tone down the power of alert that is just bonkers strong every <laughs> single character take that as their first feat oh, like yeah. always i make it a point to not take it sometimes i've only had it once because of that but yeah i mean the way that it's worded, it says you can't be surprised, which can be taken like really far, but it's also just mechanically, it just means you get to participate in a surprise round. Yep. Overall, it's, I like, I like that. Like mm-hmm. you're, you're like, you know, something's out of place in the forest or like, oh, you know, that guy's watching you over in the corner of the street. That That's really like, uh, builds a lot to the world and to your background. We've talked about how important backgrounds should be. 
I think that just mm-hmm. adds to it. I would yep. say definitely it would be like an optional rule too. I mean, for the feats being a, you know, I feel like both should be picking like at the same time, but being a requirement should be optional. And it could be definitely dependent where you would talk with your DM and be like, hey, you know, I am this hunt. I am this rogue that's lived up in the city for a long time. I want to take the alert feat whenever I am in the city. And I'll take that feat. Now, whenever in an urban setting, I have the alert ability. So I know, um, you know, when someone's going to attack me or I get advantage on initiatives. Yeah, I like actually all that because I, as we've talked about before, that we really, the feats just aren't what they were meant to be. They, they just, I don't think they play out the way that the wizards thought they would play out. And, you know, we t- we've talked about this. And I think doing something like what we're talking about here, combining it with that talent tree stuff, I think that could be badass. Oh, you can make some cool customizations. Yeah. yeah. That would take 5th edition into a whole nother level. A whole nother level. Yeah. Um, what I love about what, what, what Matt's rule here is, one second, what I love yeah. about Matt's rule here is, uh, it, yeah, it, your, your power scale is going to go up pretty high if you're going to get feats and ability scores at the same time, which I don't really care. Our, our group, we don't even really pay attention to CRs. Um, but it, you know, the level of diversity and customization that you can make your characters with this kind of rule is, to me, super, super cool. And that's my biggest issue with 5th edition, is that my barbarian and your barbarian look are exactly the same. The only difference is our color and what weapon we're wielding. Right. But with something like this, now, all of a sudden, at level 4, you're a a super alert barbarian and I've got the great weapon master. So I'm hitting things hard and, and you're, you're initiating faster than me. And I think that's really cool. Yeah. yeah so I agree. And and I don't know why I had to bring race into it though, Cody, but, you know, <laughs> uh, but no, I, I agree actually with everything you just said. And one thing to go back with, cause we were talking previously uh, before we were eating, uh, before we ate dinner about stuff is that yes, this gives you great, abilities to really customize your character. But I think with something like that and something with the talent trees, you have that customization without becoming overcomplicated mechanically, mm-hmm. right? Without becoming, it, having a bog down the game. So it lives within the realm of the simplicity of 5e, mm-hmm. but you still have that customization, which would be fantastic. So this is something we are definitely going to start bringing to the table i mean can i just remake my dark kingdom character <laughs> not, not now that's like i said with the town trees aren't going to even start until i run a new camp or one of but, us like i'm not ready i'll introduce them i'll definitely use them but i ain't doing it until we're done with what we're doing shoot okay guys <laughs> eberron is when i'm going to introduce that new nice. role I've introduced nice. it, so. uh any other thoughts on that man as far as feats go i mean not that, really that, I mean, you, you, you sound like you thought that out pretty well yeah, I mean, it was just something I just thought about. Like, I just feel, and I, I want to just stress this to people who think, oh my gosh, that's so strong. Like, oh wow, they're going to be insane. And I mean, if you take away the the additional ability scores you get in feats, when you think about it, at the end of the day, the ability score improvements, they give you one point. I mean, sure, they give you one point at one skill, which could go to your attack, could go to your AC, but it, it's one more pip up. Yeah. It's not, at the end of the day, it's not that strong. Right. It's not. I mean, I, I, and I'll go, I'll go to my grave saying that, that it's just not that strong getting one more pip. No, I agree with, um, I agree with you wholeheartedly. I mean, that's literally why I very rarely take feet. Mm-hmm. And when I do, it's just usually alert feet because I want to be a little faster. But like when I looked at some of the other options where I'm like, going, oh, okay, so I get that, that one pip here and get this ability, or I can just take these two pips. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that's well, what I always end up I, doing. I, I, I disagree. And let me tell me say why. <laughs> wait, wait. So, I disagree with your disagreeing. So now we it. agree. Wait, I disagree it's with everybody proof. at this table right now. All right. So, you know, if you take standard array stats, though, you do get that 13, right? Mm-hmm. And I have used feats many times with my characters to make that 13 a 14 
and get that additional plus one. So you can strategically build your character. Do you mean 15 to 16? No, 13. There's a 13 to 14. Well, I guess there is a 15. Your highest is typically 15. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You're right. So you're right. 15 and 13. I've done it with both. Uh, But I have used it for that. Now, again, I do agree that's not that strong, ultimately, right? It's like a small bump. Uh, But it is is a good feeling when you kind of pre-planned your character out, and then you grab that feet, and now you're like, ha-ha, now I got that as an even number, and it's an additional bump. You feel good about yourself, I set the bar low for what makes me feel good. (laughs) I... I like corny jokes and plus no. ones from my feet. Right. So, another cool thing about this idea, though, is that it gives players a reason to grab feats outside of the the common like five feet. Like mm-hmm. what? Uh, alert, warcaster, great weapon master, sharpshooter. What's another elemental one? Tough. Adept. Oh, yeah. elemental adept. That's a good one. That's six. Lucky. Uh, okay, lucky is seven. Uh, resilience. So that's eight. But what Matt's what Matt's suggesting, if if that was implemented, you could have some freedom to get a little bit off the meta talent. Exactly. Right. You could get the alert feat. You could get the uh, I think there's like a leadership feat. Yeah, uh, like to get resilience. Actor, so actor feat would be interesting. Yeah. yeah. When you read the feats chapter, they, if I recall correctly, they actually literally say like, "Oh, this is totally optional. You don't even have to do this in the game." And I think that reflects at the time of the creation of Five E that maybe their mindset was this is a totally optional, just extra thing that people might do. And it has that level of sort of attention given to it. And then in later books, you see them giving, I think like even in Xanathar's, you have the racial feats, which were a lot of those were really cool. Uh, And then later on you have uh, Tasha's, which added some more feats that come out of unearth arcana. Um, And so I think that, Probably, like I said last uh, session, like we're just at a point in our groups where we want more advanced customization of our characters. Yeah. Whereas yeah. when we first came to fifth, it's like, okay, this is a lot of stuff to process. But, you know, maybe it would make sense not to even have feats, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe something not to have a business meeting in the middle of the freaking podcast, <laughs> but I think we have some great ideas here. And maybe offline, we should be talking about what a Strange New Worlds. Uh, yeah you know, feet guide or something like that to build out characters. Right, so I'll agree with that. And we'll just stop that whole discussion right here because record scratch, there's people listening out there. Right. <laughs> they might steal our ideas. Uh, anyways, uh, Keenan, trademark. Did you have any, anything that you really <laughs> wanted to, that you feel like you change or, or you do differently? I do a lot of well, we, stuff. Differently. We all do. Di- everybody at this table so, does stuff differently, but is there any like main core mechanical rule that you're just like, you know what? They, they say to do it this way, but you know, no, I don't want to do it that way. Keenan's like, I we don't, break we so don't many, play fifth edition at my yeah. games. We play Keenan edition. Yeah. We, yeah. <laughs> I break so many rules that I can't even like pick one. Cause it's always like, I, I like I, to think it's like court cases where I, it, I was in the same place. Like I was really, really thinking about this. I was like, man, I kind of play really fast and lose. Yeah. And so exactly. I really had to, had to come up with some ideas. So like, I like uh, Cody, Cody needs consistency, but I like to do things like at court cases, like case by case basis. It needs to be. So like when something is, when you want to do something weird, I want to rule on it regardless of what, not, not only rule of cool, but like, if I'm like, I don't think, I don't believe that. Like, or I don't, I don't think that the damage die should be that, or the hit die should be this. I'll just change whatever I want. And that's why I love fifth edition. Uh, I had All something to right. say about the feats, though, but I can't remember now. Oh, no. Well, just well, just yep. remember we, before you, uh, you you start running any game, I think it should be like one of us should just like announce, All rise. <laughs> DM Osborne is entering the courtroom. Everything will be decided by my gavel. The, the Judge Judy soundtrack <laughs> comes <Right>. on. <laughs> well, and in case anybody's listening going like, okay, well, it sounds like all of you guys have kind of 
very different approaches to DMing. Like, I think one of the things that we all do for each other, and I know we do this when we sit down to play with Keenan, like, we know that is how he rolls. And so you come into the game as a player with the mindset that, okay, um, he may make a ruling that's different than when we were in a scenario similar to this last time. And that's not because he's trying to mess with us that's well maybe it is because you're messing with us a little bit but <laughs> it's because in that moment as the dm you really do feel like okay in this scenario we're gonna it, it will be this way and i think i've always told you why yes yeah, yeah. Like you're very good I about have that. a logical reason that's why a I very logical my, reason i like I, my world to be convincing so it's like well n- not here because this yeah I, th- I think that's and that's 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 very good to note and that's actually something we could talk about in, in our uh, how to be a better player because that's sure. actually a really good note on that because sometimes you do have to understand that each DM is a little different. Um, I've certainly there's many times where I've done things. I've seen people look at me, and then John has the famous phrase is like, "I know Mike has a reason for doing this." Yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, we're getting off the rails. To, what, what uh, rules? What, what back rules? to beats so, real quick. With yeah. You guys were yeah. concerned about people worrying about like how strong that is. Go to what you guys always say about me, and like just make your players stronger. So you can throw worse stuff at them. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Always. So I don't think I don't think mine's going to take much time to talk about. So I, I'm more than happy to go last. Uh, John, what do you what, what do you got in mind? What are you thinking about? Mine's kind of simple too. Oh, I have one that's simple and one that's a whole like a whole yeah. podcast. So we've talked about it before. It's my a skill whole check rule. Bag of goblins. Um, but I won't get into the skill check rule. We've talked about that in previous games. But I'm a big believer in that. If you don't have a skill, at the very least, you should have disadvantage on trying to use it. Uh, and in some cases, you shouldn't be able to use it at all. Uh, but that's not really the one I would mention. The one I would mention that's really straightforward for me is I don't follow the magic item uh, rule of three attunement rule. Oh, yeah. yeah. I hate that. And, and, you know, it's funny because you that's that came out of the Dungeon Master's Guide. You can't find that in the player's handbook. It's only when you go right. to the Dungeon Master's Guide. and They the, don't even have magic items in the player's they handbook. They don't. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, that, and they, I feel like they should call the Dungeon Master Guide the magic item book because that's really <laughs> that's the main it thing yeah. it contributes to the game. Um, but it, in that regard, it does a good job. But um, I don't know, man, when you read, when because you obviously some magic items you don't have to attune to. Like they, they will say attunement on them if they require attunement. But if a magic item requires attunement, it takes a short rest, uh, an hour of focusing on the item. And the way they describe that in the Dungeon Master Guide is if it's a magic sword, maybe that's an hour of practicing with the sword. Or if it's a wondrous item of some kind, maybe it's an hour of meditating on the item and looking into the jewels until the magic unlocks. But after an hour, (coughs) pardon, after an hour, you will have an understanding of how to use the item, right? And then it just says, like as a sentence, you can only do this with three items and it moves on yeah. <laughs> and I'm going, why? <laughs> like that there's no explanation for why it's just, and we know why from a game mechanic standpoint, they're trying to limit everybody walking around with an arsenal of insane magic items. But I think, especially when you get in high level campaigns, that's part of the appeal of a high level campaign is that my character is not just a badass; He's a badass with an arsenal of magic weapons in, in a lot of cases. No, I agree with you hundred percent because, and especially if you're playing in a high magic campaign where there is a lot of magic items out there and there's a lot of, you know, magic being thrown around. I don't, I've never limited you guys on that. Uh, never did in, in quest for booze. I don't think I, I, I've never really had a reason to do it. We also, we had some monstrously strong magic items and booze. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Because it was a monstrously strong oh, yeah. high yeah. magic setting. So multiverse level stuff. Yeah. Also a point though. I don't know if you guys actually know this. They do not balance monsters for any magic items. Right. Nope. Yeah. So even if every player had three people had three attunement items and their CR or their level 10, a CR 10 monster or even a CR like, 
12 or 15 monster is not balanced for them. It is for no magic items whatsoever. Yeah, so, which is hard because you can't balance for like all the possibilities. No, no. But still, like that just means your monsters are way too weak. So well, that's and, why that's and, why we bump them up. That's yeah, why we always do that. You have to. Like in the Rise of Tiamat module, it's a CR 30 monster. Are they expecting? I have never read Rise of Tiamat, but like, are they expecting you to fight Tiamat with no magic items? I'm at all? assuming there's mechanics to make her weakened, probably, yeah. or maybe like some wondrous items like Instrad. Yeah, the, the yeah, exactly. That affect more. Okay, something specific, I'd imagine, because I know that they don't. But maybe specific Tiamat has a item that does inflict more or yeah. something, but generic monsters from all the books they've made, released do not. If anybody's mm. listening and knows the answer, email me, please. I want to know. Well, I think or leave a comment. Yeah, I think what they're, I mean, when you think about just D&D and the original guide and all the adventures they released, I mean, out of all the adventures they released, they released one guide that's 5 through 20. That's it. And I don't think oh, their, I don't think their mindset is that, uh, they, they do have a mindset of that, you know, you'll play with other people, you won't play our modules, you'll play like, you know, your homebrew campaigns, you'll get to level 20. But I don't think their mindset is everything in our bull book is for people to get to level 20. No, I think it's more of, you know, the, I think the three attunement rule is more of them saying like your campions are probably end at level 15 or level 10 or something like that. And they'll stop because we're not going to try and balance what happens at level 20. Cause I mean, once you get to level 17, now your wizard and your cleric and I don't know, I'm not your cleric, but your wizard now has wish, yeah. which basically breaks the entire game all, all over yeah, the game breaks and simulacrum level 15 anyways. Yeah. Simul- at level 17, your wizard doesn't need the party. No, <laughs> <Nope>. <laughs> Technically not. no that's where it's up to us as DMS to, to make it challenging and do those things. And I think you're right. You know, I think it's really at level 15 where things really start to get kind of, really off the rails as far as what I think they intended. Which is fine. I think like once you're that powerful, like we all want to get to that level. Once you're that powerful, the game should be extremely different because there's no way like Elminster is playing the same rules as a level 10 fighter. No, No. he's just not. I think they describe in the book that at level 17, you are in demigod status kind of character. Yeah, It's like a, like world saver. Like Mm -hmm. it's one through three or one through five is like village town. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 10 is, uh, or 7 is city, yeah. 10 is country, and then like 15 is like continent, and then 20 is like world saver. Dude, I really world saver. saver, that's aim and low. You guys saved the yeah. multiverse. It's true. We traveled <laughs> through most of it. I really like how 4th edition put it, was that uh, you got to level 10, you you are now a paragon, and you are yeah, you have a paragon path. You chose a different subclass. 4th edition, I'm going to try and get into those rules too, because I really want to bring that back as well. I'm not going to get into that right now, <laughs> but... Uh, you chose a paragon path and now you are, you're part of, you're this paragon. And then once you get to level 20 and, uh, you know, spoiler alert, you can get to level 30 in fourth edition, but, uh, you choose your epic destiny and now you have this epic destiny to fulfill. That's actually 3.5 also. Yeah. I think it's yeah, yeah, it is 3.5. 3. 5. Actually, that's the first time I remember seeing that. And that and sounds it, awesome. And hey, here's so cool. Spoiler alert. You guys can get to level 30 in any campaign I run. Ooh. If you would run one past 20. <laughs> well, we, we'll come back. And you're, we always play milestone XP, and yeah. you don't get us to that level. So, yeah, well, you know, I know, that's my fault. Definitely <laughs> after we've for slain sure. gods and all this stuff. I think we're at, level 20. We should just be automatically level 30 after saving the multiverse. I would yeah. hope so. Akon is. Akon. Yeah, Akon definitely <laughs> is. So, so it actually sounds like we're pretty much in agreement about the attunement thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dumb rule. Dumb rule. I will say that to get to a situation where. There is one exception to the rule because I know a lot of people like this class and it's the artificer. Mm. And oh, because your specific item doesn't yeah, count. You make your you own. can yeah, well, no. How they do it is you can have, I think, up to six attunements once you get to right. level twenty. Yeah. 
Yeah. So there, that's that's the power of the artificer. Of course, when we if we ever run, you know, when we run an Eberron campaign in the future, far future, once Star Wars is over, uh, I know Mike's going to want to run an artificer. And oh yeah. We're going to rework that because oh, yes, I'm not going to worry about attunement. Yes, yeah, it's kind of a are. lame thing to get a level twenty if we're not yeah. playing with it. Yeah. The official five exactly. E artificer is also kind of underwhelming. Yeah. And in, in Wizards' defense too, I think some of the mechanics they developed had uh, Adventurers League in mind. Yeah, and, and limiting people, just random people sitting down at the table. They're like, "Oh, by the way, uh, last uh, yeah. campaign I was in, I picked up eight magic items." <laughs> uh, I, I, I was just thinking something similar to that. I think that they put that rule of three in there as a way for the DMs to try to balance the game. So that not one player is getting all of the magic items right. becoming just unbeatable and none of the other players have to contribute because the one guy can just take care of the whole thing by themselves. I, I have a, another, a, more of a question than a comment. Sure. Um, so one, one of the other things they talk about with magic items in that same paragraph is that a copy of a magic item does not confer the benefit twice, which I could for the most part agree with. But if you had uh, two rings of protection plus one, you only get, yeah, the effect of the one. Do you guys agree with that? Or? No, I do not because that's one of the things I, I cannot stand. I, I look, I look, I don't. Or, okay, Wait, if, so if, if I have if ten you, rings of protection, no, 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 no. I get plus. <laughs> but 10 you're not going to find ten rings protection. I, there's no. You also don't have enough. Here's, it's not going to happen. Like I'm not going to let you as a DM get ten rings of protection. But if you do have two, so what? I mean, the way I usually, I mean, the way we stack it anyways is that's why I started making up weird shit anyways. That's what I was going to say. So it's, I started it's like making up my earring of protection yeah. and a cloak of protection, those would stack. Those do stack. Mm-hmm. And I, that's yeah. where I started making up things like early on in second edition, like tattoo of protection, nipple ring of protection, you know, <laughs> I did. I had all these weird things, but, I, but mostly that was for, so I could protect my bad guys against the really powerful player characters. And a lot of times <laughs> they wouldn't think to look, they're not going to go look and see if, if he's got a. Uh, Oh, what was that called? Um, a nipple ring of protection? Navel? No, no, no. Gosh, darn it. Why did it just to- totally leave my mind? Prince Albert? Prince Albert, thank you. Most characters are not <laughs> oh, going to check that area to see if, if they got something. And if they do find something, they're like, I am not wearing that. I'm, <laughs> checking, I'm checking all of your dead NPCs. Press the <laughs> no Clean it. I think where they were going with that, though, in a sense, was if I, find, if I have a plus wing of protection and I'm the character and then everybody else doesn't, if I find another one and I maybe the rogue or something like, cause you know, you have all there's characters out there. There's the rogues who like sneak off, f- empty the chest and they find oh, there's all these magic items in there. But if they're the rogue and they have the plus one ring of protection, now they can't obviously put on another one. So it's now like a situation either they can sell it or they can give it to a party member who That's doesn't have it. Yeah. It's yeah. Funny. I mean, <laughs> yes, it is a bad player, but it's, it's funny. Cause like talking to you guys, it, all of these things seem so obvious to us. Why would wearing two rings of protection be a big deal at all? Yeah. I read a lot of RPG horror stories, and there are definitely people out there that would try to abuse rules like these and make it unfun yeah. for the entire game. So I think it's this wizard's attempt to give power to the DMs and other mm. players that want to play fairly. That's mm. fair. I, 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 I do actually. Playing. I actually, when it comes to rings, I actually do cap a player at two magic rings. Yeah, so I, that, that was, that, normal, that was a rule that's normal though. From the, yeah. yeah. That I've seen in many games. And so mm-hmm. I guess in that sense, that particular example, you know, you, you would be okay. That rule would basically yeah. get a bottleneck that you're, ability. You're not going to put like specifically rings <laughs> or like cloaks. Like you're not going to have two cloaks on. Yeah. I don't know, man. I'm thinking of, uh, I'm thinking of my gnome, uh, my gnome from that one. Adventure, oh, uh, Mike uh, had uh, chubby. chubby. Uh, and, uh, he, he would want 10 rings. Oh yeah. <laughs> hand would be un- like put 10 rings on your own hand your hand would be like unusable like right. maw like oh. it can't be hardly bend or like yeah. articulate 
So now I want to make some things are self uh, satisfying. So they work themselves out. So like I said, mine's pretty simple. The one thing. So, and that's why I wanted to go last. So my biggest issue really right here with 5e is really it's the core combat system. So I think we need to bring Thacko back in our next campaign. <laughs> <Thacko>. <laughs> no, actually, the only thing I mean, there's like, like I said, Keenan are very similar. We 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 run fast and loose, and like make a lot of judgments on the fly, depending on situations. You're very judgy. I know. <laughs> One of the things that I I always have a problem with is that spellcasters are limited in the amount of spells they can prepare. Oh, yeah, Yeah, we definitely don't play with that most of the time. That drives me nuts. If you're a cleric and you have access to third-level spell slots now or whatever, 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 you have access to the proper amount of spell slots to have a third-level spell, I don't think there's any reason your deity wouldn't make you say, "I'm choose these spells before you go out on this mission," even I, though you may not know what you need. Yeah, I agree, and I think, and that, I think it's the same thing with like the sorcerer. They're they're drive, they're 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 grabbing shit from the weave. Wizards are grabbing stuff from the weave too. They're in contact with it. Any other spellcaster, druids are in, in contact with nature. I just I don't understand the limitations. I have theories. Uh, with the cleric example, it's not the deity saying, "Cleric, here's the spells you're allowed to have for the day." It's cleric, what spells do I think I need for the day? Um, with wizard kind of idea, uh, I like to think of it as like what material components does the wizard have on hand? You know, they they, they need the bat guano for that fireball or whatever like that. Uh, also with with the wizard, you don't need to prepare ritual spells. You just need the ten minutes. Right. That's I think it's one of the examples of or one of the reasons why wizards don't have almost any core class features because you are unlimited in the number of spells that you can have available to you at any given time so the only spells you need to prepare as a wizard are your combat spells or your utility spells that don't require ritual right and i just i just think that if you have the spells in your spell books i just don't think you should be limited Agreed. to what you can what you prepare you're you're you've literally studied this magic all your life you were a mm-hmm. super smart individual it's not like it's not like if we were running with some sort of mechanic in 5e where magic took up uh processing yeah. speed in your in your brain yeah. you know took up some of the cpu <laughs> and you can only yeah. put five spells in there because you don't have, you know, a, a fast enough drive, then yeah, okay, see that, but we don't, that's not how it is. Like a cleric's going to know all the Psalms for their yeah. spells. Like a cleric's going to sure. know all of them always. Maybe just can't tap into its, uh, the deity's power to cast resurrection at first level because its faith isn't that strong. It's bond with its deity isn't. I 100% agree with you, Mike. It's, it's very silly. It, it, I think it's to four situations where you oh, should have had this spell, but right. like also, Hey, we really need fly right now and our feather fall. I didn't think we we're going to be falling off a cliff. Now we're now we're falling off a cliff. Yeah. And, and the thing is though, I will say this as you get to higher level and you have a, a shit ton of spells, it does make your job a little harder when you're going from round to round deciding what spells <laughs> to cast. Uh, but I just, I, that's just how I feel about that. I just, I, I just don't want to play with it. I, I mean like I'm, I'm fine. I do. I, I think, I do think it's funny what you said earlier. Cause like in Pathfinder, you can prepare the spell, and once you use it, it's gone. So if you want to throw fireball twice, you have to, pre- to prepare it twice. twice right? So if you cast it twice, so all of a sudden you just don't have fireball available to you at all. Anymore. Fireball somehow. Well, like I don't think it's you just forgot. I think it is you ran out of material components to cast fireball. So that's second, so well, second edition used an explanation for this, and and it, I'm not saying it's good or I agree because I actually don't agree. But this was the explanation. They said, okay, I'm a wizard, and I woke up in the morning, and I'm going to prepare my spells for the day, and I decide I want ma- you know magic missile, and I want you know 
uh, armor or whatever else, right? Uh, mage armor or whatever. And so I spend the morning while I'm having my coffee and I study those spells. And then those spells kind of like halfway load up in my brain, right? It's like your short-term memory. Yeah, it's like, it's so it actually was the CPU explanation just with yeah. different words, right? And I don't I don't care for that. What I like about wizards is obviously you pick when you level up, so I'm going to pick up three more spells, right? Um, Two. Two spells, okay. Yep. So you pick those spells up, but what makes Wizard cool is as you adventure and you find more spell books and more scrolls or whatever, you can add those to your book and expand your spell list. For free. I 100% agree with what you're saying, Mike, that as a cleric, my god would give me the access to the spells I need in the moment, especially since most cleric spells are more utility anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I like that Sorcerer actually, I mean, I guess the difference is the Sorcerer is really Sorcerers don't have to prepare spells, right? They no. kind of like cleric. They're kind of like a, a hybrid true, of cleric yeah. and wizard. A sorcerer true. only has like 15 spells available. Yes. Right, oh, but yeah. he has them available at all times, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of makes them unique. That's the balance with wizards and clerics and druids. Right. But a sorcerer. I, there's an argument to be made that if you give um, like a cleric unlimited access to all cleric spells, that that's way more powerful than what a wizard or a sorcerer would have. Mm-hmm. And I think that's false. I think that's, I don't, I, 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 wouldn't agree with I, that. I have played with all, you know, several of you guys have been clerics. I've been a cleric in like one shots and stuff. And I, I, I've never felt like that's an overpowered thing to give to a cleric or, or a support caster. No, no. Look, the most powerful cleric I've ever seen in any campaign was serial. Yeah. Uh, and she paled in comparison to Akon. Like she, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Not, not even yeah. close. Not even yeah, close. his power level was off the charts. And I mean, I had access to a lot of spells, and there was only a handful of times I cast it outside the norm. And right. there were cool times, like I used like Shape Stone or something, a couple yeah. like creative ways, but that would have been really lame not to have that just because I didn't prepare it. And I right. only would have prepared healing spells. Like that, that typecast my character. Yeah, it limits you and, in and so many no ways. Thematic reason. I would know all of those spells by heart. Yeah. And to go, hey, Cody, to go back to that Pathfinder way. That's actually, um, that's actually old school D and D. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that that comes straight out old school D and D. I'm just laughing at that image of the wizard, like you, you, the party falls off the cliff and he's screaming and he's like, "Sorry, guys, I had the spell in my book, but I forgot to study it this morning, and we're all gonna die." Yeah. <laughs> well, there's usually like there's there's feats that like you go around those rules like that, and well, I think I think there's like a general rule of thumb that you have Featherfall prepared. Oh, I mean, no, maybe. it's no. not in the book. No, not like in no, the are book. Are you talking about as a like, player? Like a rule of thumb It's like like a like a like, 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 why would a wizard who knows fireball? Why would you not prepare fireball? Like, just like if you have featherfall, why would a dude? If I had featherfall and a bunch of other spells that I can choose from, featherfall fall is going to be the last thing I think to choose if, yeah, if I'm limited that way. If you think about it, like, think about like Alphinius would have, and Alphinius is a wizard that we played. I played in one of our campaigns. He'd have featherfall ready to go. Mm-hmm. Venic would not have featherfall no, ready to I, go. Venic would have fireball ready to go. <laughs> right. I actually did have featherfall though. Oh well, they, but, they, uh, that's a bad example. Wouldn't. And I only had it because of that because I knew a John would be thrown out. It's like there's probably a time where I'm going to need this. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, true. It could, it could so, be a situation, but uh, you're I, evil. I have, I have a modifier to Mike's rule though, so uh, I'm I'm fine with clerics like not knowing every single spell available to them. I would have clerics and druids and paladins you know any of those other prepared caster, casters i would have them learn spells just like wizards do mm. and i would have them do ritual casting just like wizards do mm. maybe not the paladin All right but you know you would you would just straight up learn cleric spells as you level up as a cleric and you'd have some kind of specialization with your cleric maybe give them three spells per level because most of their spells are more utility based right. the wizard is the the strongest utility caster 
because they can just ritual cast like a third of their spells or something like that. That's what I would change. If you have the time. So can clerics and druids. They, they have to have them prepared in order to ritual cast. Really? Yeah. yeah. Wow. Oh, was. Yeah, it's kind oh. of weird. Well, yeah. I, guess I, I got rules, lawyer. I guess I was wrong. I yeah. actually I actually thought this would be a short conversation. No, no, this is actually really good. <laughs> hey, uh, <laughs> I just thought of, this is a very quick yeah. rabbit trail, but I think this is really cool and worth mentioning. What if as a cleric, you use a spell to do something that your god probably wouldn't approve of, mm. and then he removed it from your spell list from, oh, for, until you That's atone. cool. That's cool. I Very don't cinematic. have an issue with that. That's actually a really cool uh, thematic thing. Yeah. I like that. that. Makes sense. Yeah. You're worshiping a good god and you're like, I'm going to do, I don't even know. You're going to do like uh, the Goblin Slayer thing where you're going to use like wall of force kind yeah, of thing right. and uh, and the smoke out the goblins and the fire inside the cave. But you serve like the goddess of mercy. <laughs> Just yeah. Like, right. Okay. So that was not cool. Uh, yeah. I mean, in yeah. that regard, the cleric would be breaking its role playing by doing that. Yeah, so that's true, true. True. But that's a, that's a good, that's a good um, tool for the DM to have in his hip pocket. If yeah. a character or player is continually kind of going against his, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, his the, character type or his, his religion or whatever, then you're, you're just like, yeah, okay. You keep doing that. That's what's going to happen. Yeah. What I like about this analogy is that it's kind of in line with the way that a lot of people talk about role playing the warlock patrons mm-hmm. as a DM, right? but in kind of a different direction. It also, it gives the DM a chance to say, would your lawful good cleric who worships the goddess of mercy really do that? Mm. Instead, you just let the cleric do that because the player, for whatever, got too high on their high horse, and then they're punished, but it's all thematic. It's not just the DM flexing on that player. It is, (laughs) it's straight up like, you worship a goddess of mercy, like, she's not going to let you do that anymore. If you were John, you wouldn't, you wouldn't tell them though. The (laughs) next time they try and cast that, you'd be like, you can't remember the last word to get the spell off. Yeah. And you know what I'll, I I think that's great. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing I hate worse than when the DM flexes on a player. Would you take a look at the uh, picture right below (laughs) the the astral dreadnought? Yeah. Okay, well, we're uh, we're kind of starting to run long here. So, any uh, closing thoughts on on this? I think we actually threw out a bunch of really cool ideas these, today. These are great ideas. This actually. was really fun. I mean, there's just some stuff that we're definitely going to start incorporating. So, number one thing uh, I'm going to say, and I'm probably going to say in a lot of podcasts, just communicate, communicate, communicate with each other. Luke, Layer, have a conversation. And DM, just <laughs> Luke, communicate. Just move, shoot, and communicate. It's just like a relationship. Between two individuals. Also, if you're a spellcaster, crossbow expert is a great feat for you because you don't have to roll disadvantage on targets within five feet of you. Yeah, crossbow that's a expert terrible rule. for spellcasters yeah. yes. wouldn't what? wouldn't work. No, it does. How Jer- does Jeremy Crawford said it works? Yeah, that's what you have to take if you don't want to roll disadvantage on a target within five feet. That's okay. why we need to change things. That's all I could say. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. If I, I, wait, wait, wait. If so, if I throw like a fire flame bolt or whatever it's called at somebody within five feet of me, it's at disadvantage. Yes. I had no idea. It's a ranged attack. I thought because it was a spell, it was fine. Nope. And we don't play that way, so I'm not worried about it. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you guys uh, for the great conversation. That was awesome. I love it. Yeah, I loved it too. That was uh, really good. Uh, so thank you everybody for listening to uh, Legend Lore, brought to you by Strange New World Productions. And if you like what you heard, uh, please check out our Patreon and check us out at snwproductions.com. And also, since we are recording this on Memorial Day, let's uh, give, a, give a moment of thanks to all those armed servicemen and women who have made great sacrifices for our country. 